Uh, hey, a couple years ago, um, I was with my wife at a uh, missions conference, and it was actually a big tent like this. It was in Colorado, and there was one of those times at the end of the conference where they called people to the front to listen to God, and so I found myself on one side of the tent, and you know, my wife was on another side of the tent uh, ministering to someone, and afterwards, we kind of debriefed and said, hey, what was God speaking to you during that time of ministry? And we, we both walked away with a similar theme. And it actually wasn't just a similar theme. It was the exact same phrase that God had put on our hearts during that time. And the phrase was simply this, get your house in order. Get your house in order. And so we started to just to ask God and kind of journey through what does that look like? What does it look like to have our relationships in order? What does it look like to have our finances in order? What does it look like as parents, et cetera, et cetera? And then we kind of got on this idea of what would it actually look like just practically just to declutter our house. Any decluttering fans out there? Yeah, a lot of us, right? It's a good series for you, Decluttering the Soul. Decluttering is a huge trend in, in our culture today. And what I wasn't expecting was for me to be going through this and this becomes such a big thing in our, in our society. So I wrote down just some books that I've seen recently all about decluttering. Maybe some of these titles or Netflix shows will, uh, will, you'll, will be familiar to you, to you. So first of all, there's minimalism or the minimalist lifestyle. Maybe you've seen those things out there. Uh, here's one, and I think I got this right. The life-changing joy of tidying up. Okay, so some people have enjoyed that show or that book on how to tidy up their house. Uh, here is one that was a little intimidating to me to read. The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. That one, uh, Gentle Death Cleaning, I don't know. <laughs> book titles, what can you say? The Home Edit, right? We, uh, they've seen all these different ones that are out there. The Minimal Mom, all these different titles that are teaching us how to declutter. And so my wife and I went through this journey of decluttering our own house. It was surprising to me how hard it was to declutter. It was surprising to me. I remember this one, this one candelabra we'd gotten for our wedding like 15 years ago. It didn't match any of our stuff. You know, we didn't even like it, but we had such a hard time letting it go. Uh, by the way, even five years later, I still have my high school letter jacket. I wasn't letting that go. So uh, I, I didn't de declutter that. But, you know, there's other things that we got rid of. So many papers from our kids' school, right? Where did all these micro USB cords come from? Like, I have like 35 of those cords. None of them work, by the way. And, and so there's just all this decluttering that we went through. And I've just wondered, why is this such a national trend? I actually have a chart up here all about decluttering. Cleaning and reorganization is on the rise, okay? So you heard it first here at All People's Church, guys. Here's some statistics. 63% uh, of Americans are desperate to find places in home for the stuff bought over the past year. Maybe something that has to do with the fact of whenever you Amazon Prime something, it comes to your house in like two and a half hours. So we have all this extra stuff. A lot of people find reorganization satisfying or, or helpful. Actually, thrift stores are now coming out and saying, please stop donating your stuff. Like, you have so much stuff that we now have to declutter your junk, and we don't want it. And so the thrift stores are feeling overwhelmed. And, you know, most people say reorganizing, decluttering is a huge, is a huge stressor. I think there's a lot of reasons why. I think when you declutter things from your life, you're able to be a better steward of what you have, right? You're able to, to maintain what you have and, and keep better care of it. I think it also just allows you to focus on the more important things in life when you're not managing and moving your stuff around all the time, easier to host 
most people in your home, easier to enjoy what you have, easier to enjoy being together. I think anything you can do to push greed and mammon out of your life is like super great. And so embracing simplicity, that's really good. But I think there's a key reason that decluttering has become so popular in our culture today. And it's because most of us have cluttered minds. I think we're we're trying to clutter the outside, declutter the outside of our life because we feel something inside. Maybe you've done this before where you showed up at work on a Monday morning and what's the first thing you did? Hey, I got to clean off my desk, right? I have a big whiteboard in my office. I need to erase the whiteboard. I just need a fresh start because there's something about our environment that internalizes within us and it makes us feel stressed or not stressed based on how organized it is. So today I want to speak to you from the subject, how to have a sound mind, how to have a sound mind. You ready to have a sound mind this morning? I don't need to spend a lot of time on this because we're all familiar with it at this point on the statistics of depression, anxiety, and mental health in America. Like summary statement, not good. We're not doing well. Our culture is not doing well. Even in, in the church, you know, many people are struggling. They're having a hard time. And uh, last Wednesday at Summer Nights, we had a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she was sharing with us just all the different trends she's seeing in our world and how people are struggling. These are difficult times. They're really tough. But I do think there's a good thing that has come out of, out of these times, which is there's a lot more research going on into the brain and in to the mind. I find this stuff super interesting. So I want to share some things with you today about your God-given brain. Because here's the thing. A lot of us has been taught that Jesus wants to be in our hearts, right? Anybody in here accepted Jesus into their hearts? Amen? But a lot of us have thought we need to leave our brain over there at that gate. We, we, we've, actually, we've actually been taught, hey, my, my brain doesn't need to come to church, right? To have faith means I'm not a thinking person. And I want to propose to you that your brain is one of your greatest gifts from God. And he actually wants to speak to you and use your mind to teach you how to connect with him. Your brain is the world's greatest supercomputer. Its storage capacity is basically unlimited, especially my kids, their storage capacity seems unlimited. You ever had a kid, you know, you, you tell them maybe uh, you'll, you'll get them a Slurpee and it's two weeks later, they bring up that maybe. They do not forget. They do not forget the maybes, right? Their storage capacity is unlimited and processes information hundreds of times faster than the world's greatest supercomputers. Your brain is unique. Each of your brains has a unique electromagnetic signature. So the way that you think, there's different synapses that fire in your brain. It's like a fingerprint. The way that your brain functions and moves, it's not like anyone else's brain. So it's true that no one else thinks like you, right? You look at your neighbor and say, nobody thinks like you. (laughs) All right. Your brain changes. Diet, exercise, sleep, behaviors literally shape your brain. And this goes well into adulthood. They've actually done studies. Here's one study I saw on cab drivers in the city of London, England. And what they found was cab drivers in the city of London, England, part of their brain was developed differently than other people in London because they were constantly using the navigation portion of their brain to drive around. So their brain was literally shaped by the job that they did. Your brain changes. Your brain, your mind, is actually designed to connect with God. 
Your brain and your mind is designed to connect with God. Studies have shown that those who are religious or spiritual tend to have lower, lower rates of all kinds of mental illnesses, depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation. That doesn't mean that you won't struggle with those, but it, it does mean that there's something, there's a foundation to stand on, and the rates are much lower, and people that have connected their minds to God. Meditation shows improvements of about 10 to 15% in cognition when practiced regularly, and reductions in stress, anxiety, depression, and I thought this one was interesting, the strengthening of antibodies to viruses like the flu. In his book, How God Changes Your Brain, Dr. Andrew Newberg, a Jewish neuroscientist, analyzed how a person believes a God. What they believe about God actually activates different portions of their brain differently. So if you believe God is judgmental and harsh, when you're making decisions, there's a certain part of your brain that is operating. If your belief is God is loving and guiding you, when you're making decisions, there's a different part of your brain that is operating, right? Your brain is designed to connect with God. 12 minutes a day of personal reflection and prayer makes a profound impact on the brain. They've actually done studies of 55-year-old people that have prayed every day for the last decades. And you know what they found? Their brains were like 25-year-old people's. So there's something that happens in the brain when you purpose to connect with God. God wants to give us a sound mind. Let's look at our theme verse this morning, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Can we say that together, please, just as a church family? I think it'd be really cool to declare that over ourselves. You can say it with me. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. This is found in the book of 2 Timothy and the New Testament. And the context of this verse is so interesting to me because it's not written in a good situation. You see, this, this verse is written to Timothy, who's a new pastor, Right, he's trying to figure out life, and Paul is mentoring him. He's discipling him. He's trying to help him, so he writes him this letter. The problem is Paul is 800 miles away from Timothy, and he's writing the letter from prison. So Paul's been in prison for his faith. The person in charge of Rome at this time is Nero, an absolutely godless leader. There's all kinds of rampant sin and selfishness and violence all over the culture. Um, Christians are actually being accused of being the problems of all the problems, of, all the, of, all the, of being the source of all the problems in ancient Rome. And so Paul has been in prison for his faith. He's writing in terrible times, but he writes this to Timothy. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love, and of a sound mind. You know, I think this would be one of the things God would want to say to us today. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. So there's a few things I want to point out about this verse. And the first part is the bad news. The first part is the bad news. God, God has given us something. He's given us a sound mind, but there's something else that we can have. Paul writes to Timothy, and he mentions a spirit of fear. So it's so important that Paul mentions this. Um, I don't know much about the metaverse. I don't know how to get on it. But what I've, what I've heard is it, it depicts a virtual world that looks like our world but isn't. And there, there's a principle here I want you to get because this world 
this physical world we see, there's actually another world that influences this world. There's a spirit realm that influences this world. There's a spiritual dimension. This is the dimension that angels and demons, we can't see it. We, we sometimes sense that it's there, but it's constantly influencing our reality. There's angels and demons in this world. There's strongholds and belief systems. The Bible talks about powers and principalities. So there's this whole world that is actually overlaid on our world that we often don't see but influences our world. And this is the world that where the spirit of fear resides, the spirit world that is more real than our world. What I've learned about the spirit world is there's, there's kind of secondary issues and there's governing issues. The spirit of fear is a governing issue. The spirit of fear wants to control your life. We see this in so many places in our society. We see this in advertising. So much advertising is engineered to make you feel fear or like you're missing out. So you'll make a purchase, right? That's where FOMO came from, right? God has not given you a spirit of FOMO, Stephen. He's given you a spirit of JOMO, the joy of missing out, okay? So God has not given you a spirit of fear, but we're constantly, we're constantly getting these messages that make us feel fear, that make us feel like we're missing out. Whatever news channel you watch, it doesn't matter. There are data scientists that have studied the headlines on that news channel to incite fear in you so you'll click on it because they know that fear sells. The fear is a governing issue in our world today. So the mind without Christ functions in strongholds of fear. The mind without Christ builds strongholds of fear. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is an ingrained pattern of thought that houses spiritual power in our lives or in our cultures. Strongholds are ingrained patterns of thoughts that house a spiritual power in our lives or in our culture. So God has not given us a spirit of fear, amen? But it kind of like presents this question to us, where did the spirit of fear come from if God didn't give it to us? I'm glad you asked. The spirit of fear comes from our adversary, the devil, who has been around for thousands and thousands of years. The Bible talks about this spiritual war between light and darkness, between good and evil, between God who has an abundant life planned for you and Satan who wants to seek, kill, and destroy. And he has engineered a spirit of fear to defeat the purposes of God. And when you go through spiritual battles in life, you might be going through one right now. So I want to give you a tip regarding spiritual warfare. Satan has one advantage on you. He has the gift of time. You see, he's been around for a long time. And he actually knows when you were born. He knows the different struggles you've had through your life. He knows your parents. And he knows their their parents, your grandparents. And he has a very finely tuned algorithm. He knows exactly what's going to trip you up. He knows exactly how to build a stronghold of fear in your life. He knows what issues of bias to show you. He knows what what issues in culture, what temptations, what issues of the flesh. He knows exactly how to put it right in front of you. So you click like, you click follow, and now you're building a stronghold of fear in your life. Why does Satan do this? Because he knows if we operate in a spirit of fear, we will not step into the fullness of our promised land. 
I see so many Christians go through this battle with fear early in their spiritual lives. And a lot of them, it actually starts with baptism. If, if you've been baptized, it is, or if you haven't, you've probably seen it before. It's the spiritual act of surrender. You're saying, hey, I'm dying. There's a new me that's born, and I am identifying publicly with Jesus, with Christ and his family. I'm a Christian now, and I'm following Jesus. And I love that, I love the act of baptism because it's so bold, right? We're bringing ourselves to God. We're bringing ourselves to his people, and people are affirming us in our walk with him. And that's exactly why Satan comes after it. I've seen so many people not get baptized because of fear. Just, are they going to hold me under the water too long? Right? I've had people ask me that before. Um, Is the water too cold? I can't tell you how many meetings we've had, right, Stephen, trying to make the water warmer for baptisms because people were so stressed about how cold the water was going to be, even though people, like, take ice baths when they work out now. People people are afraid of the baptism, right? Uh, Other people, well, the water might be too hot. Well, what if somebody sees me getting baptized? Well, what if the person I invited didn't show up? I mean, I've, I've seen people encounter so many fears regarding baptism. Why? Because it's that first step of obedience. It's that first breakthrough you get in your faith of publicly being bold for Jesus. I mean, I had to go through this as, as a young believer. I had never really read through a whole book of the Bible. And so I thought, well, I'm going to start with an easy book. I'm going to start with 1 John. There's only five chapters. And, uh, you know, 3 John only had one chapter. I thought it was a little more mature than that. So I was going to do 1 John. It had five chapters. So I thought, I'm going to to read everything in 1 John, and I'm going to do what it says because I'm a real Christian now. That was kind of tough. There's some tough stuff in 1 John, by the way. And so I'm reading 1 John, and then I come across this verse. Perfect love drives out all fear. And I'm like, all fear? All of it? Well, I got to give that to God now. And so I began to go on this journey of what does it look like to be free from fear? And you know what I found in that journey? The spirit of fear really is a spirit. This is not a metaphor. This is a spiritual power that will come against your life when you are trying to advance in your faith. And so I just thought, well, you know, uh, what do I need to do? I guess I need to confront these fears. So I had some different fears written down. And I would put myself in situations where I knew that fear would be triggered. I was safe. You know, but I was putting myself in those situations. And I would step into those situations and I would just recite that verse. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. You know, sometimes the first time it doesn't work, so you have to change your intonation. You know, like, God has not given me a spirit of fear. But it's, and I would just say it over and over and over again. And I, I don't know how many times it took in some of these situations, maybe 15, 20 minutes. But I can tell you, the spirit of fear broke over my life in that season. This is what I learned about fear. Fear is viral. So if you're, like, okay with the fear over here, it's going to spread to your whole life. Don't give fear anything. Don't give it an inch right? Because it's a spiritual power that seeks to detach you from the purposes of God. Somebody heard that story in in a different message, and they said, well, I've had a fear of heights, so I guess I need to go skydiving. (laughs) So so she told me this story, how she strapped herself to the skydiving instructor. You know, you go with an instructor your first time, and they jumped out. I say that like I'm an expert skydiver. Okay, I've never been skydiving, for the record. So she jumps out of a plane, and then she's yelling, you know, at the instructor, God has not given me a spirit of fear! But, you know, so, but man, I think she got free. At least she landed, right? So... 
The mind without Christ builds strongholds of fear focused on survival and not abundance. That creates a fear-based state, which causes you to make fear-based decisions, which will not lead to good fruit in your life. I did a study on the mind in the Bible and, and thoughts. This is actually the first mention of the word mind or thought in the Bible. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. I hope we have it. If we don't, I'll read it right here. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Every inclination, only evil all the time. That's not a very good, you know, situation, is it? And and I looked at that Hebrew word for thought, It means framework. It means belief, imagination. Oftentimes, it could be interpreted as strongholds. And I began to see, okay, where else did people think? In the book of Genesis, you know the next instance is Abraham. He's going into a new city with his wife, and he has a a thought, a framework. He says, you know what? I need to disavow my wife. I need to protect myself. I'm a little afraid. I don't want to be associated with her. Then, Then then a couple generations later, you Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, his grandson, he's going into a town, and, and he's with his wife, and he has a thought, a fear-based inclination, and he says, oh, I don't want to be associated with her. I need to disavow her to protect myself, and then Judah and Tamar, their descendants, one of them has a thought that leads them into grievous sin. And what I began to understand was strongholds of thought, strongholds of fear create generational patterns of brokenness. Your thoughts really matter. And they don't just matter for you, but they matter for your children's children. (laughs) Right? These generational strongholds, these generational patterns, I'm sure you can think of one in your family. Right? Where, okay, grandpa thought this way, mom thought this way, I think this way. You know what? I think that's something I need to change. And guess what? If you can't think of it in your family, I bet you can think of it in your in-laws, okay? So that was a little marriage joke. But the, 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 the point is, is that you can see these things, addictions, mindsets, right? Different things that get passed down from generation to generation. How does Satan do that? He builds strongholds of fear. Let's go back to our main verse. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So we find ourselves in the New Testament. Jesus continues to warn us about sinful thoughts. He warns us what our mind is like apart from God. He says this in Matthew 15, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. There's like eight times in the gospel Jesus will perceive someone's thought, like he's talking to them, and the Bible says he perceived their thought every time it's negative, every time it's something sinful, every time it's something prideful or judgmental or religious in a bad way, and he's perceiving that from him, and then all of a sudden, like, the Bible changes the narrative because Jesus is being interviewed, and he's asked, hey, what's, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest thing you can do for God? And you know what he says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's really hard to love God with a depraved mind. So something happens to us when we meet Jesus 
there's a sound mind that's given to us that enables us to think differently, okay? Apple didn't think of it first. Jesus would have had the poster, think different, okay? Because he understood something about the mind. That's why, that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why 2 Corinthians says you have the mind of Christ. So there's something that's given to us in our mind when we decide to follow Jesus that's different than the depraved mind that builds strongholds of fear apart from Christ, which God didn't give to us, okay? God did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Sound mind, what's that word? Sophroneo, it's a Greek word. I really like this because it combines two Greek words which are so important. And the first word is sozo, which means to be saved. The second word is friend, which means mind. Literally, it's a God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a saved mind. God wanted to save your mind. He didn't want you to leave it at the gate over there. He wanted you to bring in and bring it up here and surrender it to him. He didn't want you to, 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 to take it out of your, your pocket before you jumped in the hot tub baptismal tank, right? He wanted you to baptize your mind, right? He, he didn't want you to, to, to say, well, I God, I want more of the Holy Spirit, but, but I actually don't need you in my mind. I need you in my heart. No, he wants all of you, right? As we used to say in Texas, the whole enchilada, okay? He wants it all, and he wants your mind. He wants to save your mind. Okay, we've been taught to leave our brains at the door of the church, but Jesus wants to save our mind. This is what it says in Romans 12, that the fruit of transformation is a saved mind. Mark chapter 5, there's an amazing story. I don't have time to read it, but it's of a young man who's lost his mind. He's, he's possessed by evil spirits. He's out of his mind. He's living in a cemetery. He's naked. He's running wild, and he encounters Jesus. You might know this story. It's a very dramatic deliverance that happens in the Bible. And at the end of the story, it says this in Mark chapter 5, verse 15. He was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. It's the same word. He was sitting, clothed, and in his sophroneo, in his saved mind. I just have to testify, like, sometimes as a preacher, you're, you're preaching a message that you're, like, currently trying to live out, Right? and you're like living towards, that's not this message for me. Can I just tell you, I've lived out this message. Like Jesus saved my mind. Like it, it was at a time a lot like this. Like I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to come to the front of a service. Someone laid hands on me and I felt the power of God change my mind. Like these things can happen in an instant. I, I've seen it happen to people. I think of a testimony of one of our conferences a couple years ago. I mean, hundreds of testimonies, but here's one. You know, a woman came to the front. She'd been involved in all kinds of occult behavior. She'd lived on the street, and she said, hey, will you pray for my mind? We prayed for her. I didn't know what was going to happen. I can't change anybody's mind, but I know someone who can. And so we prayed for her, and this was her description. She said, it felt like magnets were going through my brain, pulling things out. What on earth, Right. And wow, interesting story, Kendall. Can I tell you what? Years later, that lady is in our church, and she is different. Like, God did something in her that day. So these things can happen in a moment. Also, they can happen in a process. Man, there's someone in my life that I've been praying to have a sober, sane mind for years. And I can tell you that that person called me this week and said, hey, I'm, I'm now trusting in Jesus. He is doing something in my mind. 
Addiction's real. Mental health is real. It's all real, but we got to get the Holy Spirit in there because he has solutions. Can I get an amen? Okay, so Jesus wants to save our minds. Sound mind, a saved mind. This is the promise of the gospel. You know, here's a verse I want to show you because it teaches us an important principle about spiritual warfare because this is what I often see happen in people's lives. They, they come to God and they have an encounter. Like they experience some freedom, but then they go their own way and they fall back into old patterns. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Right? That's happened to me before. Like sometimes it takes time to, to walk things out. Okay? I think this is why that guy in Mark chapter 5 whose mind was healed Jesus said, hey, go back to your village. You got to need to spend some time to work this out, right? Because sometimes after an encounter with God, it's not just something that needs to leave us. It's something that needs to be put in us. It's something that needs to be built in. That's why Jesus warns us in spiritual warfare. Hey, it's not just an instantaneous moment of freedom that happens in your life. You're going to have to spend some time filling your spiritual house with me. Matthew chapter 12, if, if you don't do that, this is what Jesus says happens. The spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all handle their person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. This will be the experience of this evil generation. Ouch. Honestly, I think this is what's happened in our culture. We, we thought, okay, we could, we could kind of help people say a prayer and, and maybe maybe teach them some spiritual principles. Or maybe we thought, hey, we could teach them some biblical principles, but take out Jesus. They're just good principles, right? Or we thought, hey, you know, secular humanism, that'll help people. It'll help them get their minds organized. It'll help them get their lives organized. And what's happened 30, 40 years later, seven stronger spirits have come back than before, right? We're in a spiritual battle, not because things weren't cleaned out. It's because things weren't brought in. Man, I didn't feel like that landed. Is, are, you, is that, is that, are you understanding this arc here of, hey, an encounter with God, that's real, right? That's a momentary deliverance. But building a renewed mind with mindsets and patterns, that's a lifestyle. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Until the impossible looks possible, you don't have power. Until you can look someone that's unlovable and say, I need to love them unconditionally, you don't have the love. And until every thought in your head reflects the perspective that's his, you don't have the sound mind yet. So we're all on this journey of building patterns in our life after Jesus. So some of you might be at the beginning of this journey. You might be saying, hey, wow, I think I might have a spirit of fear. <laughs> so if that's you, I want to help you. I want to show you the wheel of freedom we've actually designed at this church to minister to people that are that are getting free from issues in their life. Now, this is all run by Pastor Jeff and our freedom team, but I just want to talk you through it because you can actually experience freedom ministry at this church in many different ways. First of all, we have Freedom Day. Who here has been to a Freedom Day? Awesome. Freedom Day is a day where we're praying over people, they're experiencing spiritual encounters, and God is building freedom in them. Okay, after Freedom Day, we have Freedom Sessions. What's a freedom session? A freedom session is a one-on-one, one-on-two session where you actually sit down with some people on our freedom team and they pray for you to experience freedom and the issue you want to be free from. 
Okay, what's a freedom group? Well, well, maybe you'd like to bring some community into your freedom experience, into your journey. That's a freedom group. We have freedom groups that help people walk out sexual freedom and walk in purity. We have people that are in recovery and experts of helping people through that journey. And you can join a freedom group to be in that. And of course, like we dialogued at at Summer Nights, we have freedom referrals, right? There's therapists. There's different experts that you can go to to, to be free. Basically, church, we want you free, <laughs> right? And so please... Please hop in on the wheel of freedom if you haven't hopped in on it and start to walk out the things of God in your life and be free from a spirit of fear. So that's, that's maybe the first application for some of us today. The second application might be this. You might just need to memorize our key verse. For God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. If that's a verse you, you don't have memorized, I'd encourage you to commit that verse to memory. You'd be surprised how many times a day you're confronted with fears. You'd be surprised how many times a day you're confronted with the temptation to shrink back or to not be bold for Jesus. And at that moment, you have something to go to, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a saved mind. Amen? Amen. So let's commit that verse to memory. I promise you that will change your life. So some of us, we're, we're working through initial freedom issues. Others, we're, we're getting into the word and we're understanding how to apply freedom into our life. But I think there's a way all of us can respond here this morning. And that is through upgrading our belief systems so we can have more of a sound mind. So let me use a little analogy for you. So I have a MacBook laptop, Okay. And on the MacBook laptop, there's a couple elements that make the laptop work. The first element is hardware. This is the RAM. Okay, this is the, the well, we don't use modems anymore. Oh, my gosh. Okay, this is, this is the, the, all the different components inside the computer, the processor, all the different things that make the computer run. So here's the problem, though. You can't just open up hardware and write a book or design a flyer, right? You can't. You, you need something that runs on the hardware. And so we also have apps. Apps are how we get stuff done on our computers, on our phones. So you have your banking app, you have your graphic design app, you have your word processor, you have all of your apps. That's, where you, that's the software that runs on the computer. But in between the app and the hardware, there's an interface. There's a middle portion. That's the operating system. The operating system actually affects how everything functions. So the name of my operating system is the Mac OS Monterey. Okay, so this is what will happen to me. I'll be in the middle of doing something on my computer, minding my own business, and then I'll get a message from Apple. Has this ever happened to anybody? You need to upgrade your operating system. Excuse me. Time for an upgrade. And what do I say? No. Later. Sorry. I'm busy. I don't need to update my operating system right now. Recently, several of my kids' devices, the operating system got so old that the apps don't work anymore. You know, this, this can happen on your computer. There, there's problems you need to solve. There's things you need to do. But if you don't update the operating system, you're not going to be able to do what you need to do. So how does this relate to this whole idea of a sound mind? Very simple. Your physical brain is the hardware. God gave you a great brain. It's something he wants to use, right? Your thoughts and your feelings are the apps. That's the software. That's where you work through, that's where you work through life. 
That's where you address issues. That's where you experience the world. Your beliefs are the operating system. Everything you perceive, your sense of identity, your well-being, all that goes through the filter of your belief. This is what I think happens to many Christians because the world is constantly changing. So we're, we're minding our business, running our apps. Then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit steps in and he says, hey, excuse me, it's time to upgrade your operating system. I need to upgrade your beliefs for this situation so you can run my new apps. I, I want to teach you how to have financial increase in the middle of inflation. Right? I need to upgrade your operating system. I want to teach you how to parent in 2022. Anybody want to know how to parent in 2022, right? I need to upgrade your operating system. I want to teach you how to grow a church in a tent. Yes, please, Lord. Okay, I want to upgrade your operating system. But what do we do? Later. 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 Have you ever turned off a computer that you hadn't updated for a while? Oh, man, you turn the thing on. And it could take six hours to get the computer on, right? It's going to go through every operating system update. I think a lot of delays we experience in our life as believers are because God has been waiting for us to upgrade our belief system. Let me just say that again. I think a lot of delays we experience in our life as believers is because God is waiting on us to upgrade our belief system. I don't mean our doctrine, I don't mean our core beliefs about God. I believe our updated beliefs on how to do kingdom in today's world, right? And so God wants to upgrade. He wants to update your operating system. And the great news is today we have cloud software. So Jesus is just up there in his glory cloud. He just wants to give you a download, okay? But how many times do we take a hard pass? Do we say, I'll do it later? And then what happens? We go to that app doesn't work. We don't have the answer we need because we didn't do the update. So we're going to do an exercise together today to close our message, to update our operating systems, to upgrade our beliefs on an issue in our lives. Are you ready for this? Okay. So let's put up the little uh, graph here, the little quadrants. We're actually going to pray and do this together. I actually want to show you a practice that I do to update my own beliefs to update my own operating systems, to have a sound mind when I'm confronting challenges in my life so that I can get God's wisdom. Okay, so the first thing I'll do, and you can do this on a phone or a sheet of paper. So you're allowed to write in church right now. So you can get something out real quick if you want to. And I'll write down the problem, the problem that I'm experiencing. And by the way, I know you can't see this in the back. That's why I have the the quadrants right here for you to see, and those will be available on the live stream as well. Okay, so I write down the problem at the top of my paper. This is the thing that I'm dealing with. I'm just going to make something up. Let's say my car broke down, okay? So I'll write car broke down. Then I'll do these quadrants right here. I'll do a heart here for feel, a brain. Actually, I'll do a light bulb. A light bulb here for think. Me, God. Okay, here's some things we've been taught about our brain. We've been taught that certain ones of us are thinkers and certain ones of us are feelers. Has anyone ever been taught that before? That's not true. You're both thinkers and feelers. Okay, we've also been taught that certain ones of us are right-brained and other ones of us are left-brained. Has anyone been ever taught that before? That's not true. You use both sides of your brain. So this is a whole-brained church, okay? So you can use both sides of your brains at this church. So what we've actually learned as people have studied the brain is your brain goes through a process 
of understanding in order to solve problems. And it's very similar to this process of connecting with God. So the first thing I'll do is I'll write down my feelings. So I'll just say, okay, my car broke down. Well, I'm mad. I'm mad that, you know, my car continues to break down. Well, my friend just got a new car. Okay, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of my friend who just got a new car. I'm scared. I could lose my job because I can't get to work. I want to take revenge on the people at Honda because, you know, whatever. Okay, whatever. Okay, whoa, okay. All right, whatever thought. Just trying to be real here. So whatever thoughts and feelings you're having, it's important to write those down because the next key to the process is going to allow you to process those things. This is going to declutter your mind. You're going to ask God, God, how do you feel about this situation? You know, the Bible says the Lord is gracious and compassionate. So God has feelings. And it's important to tap into those things in order to know the mind of the Lord for your situation. So you're going to say, God, how do you feel about this situation? And, you know, God might say, well, I'm, I see you. I see you in your pain. I have compassion. I have hope that you will get a new car. Whatever the situation is, God will release his feelings to you. Sometimes you might feel those things in your heart if you're more of a feeler. Might come in the form of a Bible verse. Might just be something that pops into your mind. But God will show his feelings to you because he wants to know, he wants you to know that he cares. Amen? Okay, here's the next thing I'll do. I'm going to thank God for how he feels. I'm going to worship him in that place. Thank you, God, that you have compassion for me, that you care about my broken car. Thank you, God, that you, wanna, that, that, that you actually see my need for a job and that you want me to succeed at work. Thank you, God, that my friend got a car. I, I give you those feelings of jealousy, and, and I just, I just want to have what you have for me. And I'll begin to, I'll begin to share those things with God and give those feelings back to him as a form of worship. What does that do? That prepares me to start receiving from God. Okay, here's the next step. What do I think? So now that I've processed my feelings, I'm going to get into problem-solving mode. We all have a knee-jerk reaction. We all have something we do when we get stressed, right? It's either fight, flight, or freeze. So for me, it's typically fight. Okay, for you, it might be flight or freeze. But, you know, I'm just going to work harder. Okay, I need, to get a, I need to get a second job so I can get a new car. Um, I'm going to pick up cycling. I don't even need a car, you know. And you just, you just write down your different ideas. If you were just going to have some knee-jerk reaction to solve your problem, what would those things be? And you just begin to write those down. You're not going to do them, but you're, just, you're getting them out before God. Here's the next step. You begin to ask God for a promise. God, what do you think about my situation? God might say, I think within the week you're going to be just fine. It's a promise from him. He might say, I, I called you to this job. I'm going to make sure you can get to work. I'm going to give you a promise related to that. I might say, I, Psalm 37 says, I've never seen the righteous hungry or their children begging for bread. I'm going to provide for you financially. And I'll just begin to write down the promises of God in my life, in this situation. 
Man, you can do anything when you have a promise from God. When you don't have a promise from God, that's when we try to fix things on our own. Can I get an amen? Anybody ever done that before? To close, thank God for his promises. God, thank you that you said within the week something good's going to happen to me. Thank you that I don't have to pick up cycling. Lord, thank you that you see me. Thank you that the Bible says that you will provide for me. Sometimes you make me lie down and by still waters, but you, you've prepared a, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I just mean to thank him for his promises. And then here's the next step. This is the give God something to work with step. So th- a lot of us forget this is how faith works. There's only one time in the Bible God created something out of nothing. That's when he created the world. The rest of times, his miracles, he would actually use things. So Jesus, he, he takes some water and he turns it into wine. Or, or some other people, they needed to be healed. And so Jesus would give them something to do. He'd say, hey, you, go show yourself to the priest. Hey, you, you know, go wash yourself in this pool. Hey, you, pick up your mat and walk. Hey, you, I'm going to spit in your eyes and you're going to be healed. I mean, do all kinds of random stuff, right? Uh, he, Moses, God calls him. He says, Moses, what's in your hand? So oftentimes God will use something practical in our lives to begin a faith journey. And so here's your question to the Lord. God, what's my my next practical step? Sometimes, sometimes you're wanting an answer for your problem, and God wants to talk to you about mowing your lawn. So God's like, be faithful in the stuff that you have now, and I'll provide you a car, right? Other times, it's a wait. It's a, hey, don't do anything yet. You know, wait, I'm going to provide for you by this time. Other, other times, it's something specific, maybe someone to call, something to do. But he'll release something to you in order to renew your mind in this situation. 